0: in part two of a series on Our Miraculous God. Uh, This is Communion Sunday, so in a few minutes we're going to be taking communion together. Uh, And and you know, as the the word is shared on any given Sunday, you know, there's a variety of ways biblically that we can uh, share the gospel. Uh, We can proclaim it, uh, which is uh, another word for preaching. You know, uh, we can teach the word, which is really more to explain the word. Sometimes we preach, teach. You know, uh, there can also be uh, exhortation and challenge and rebuke and correction. These are all things, all functions of how the word is supposed to go forth. Uh, But there's also uh, an aspect of uh, being reflective, uh, sort of a devotional look. And with us having communion this morning, uh, that's the approach that I wanna take to what we talk about here. Uh, So we're gonna be talking about the miracle of the paralytic who Jesus healed. And last week in in the first message, We just looked at some foundations, a little bit of an overview as we look at miracles and the God of miracles. And I just want to review real quick, just list off the four things that we looked at last week. Number one, we said miracles are possible because of God's nature. Just because of His very nature, miracles are possible. Number two, we said that miracles confirm that Jesus is the long prophesied Messiah. Three, the Gospel that we are to share with the world is a message of miracles. And number four, there is an environment for miracles. In other words, there's an environment that can uh, give opportunity for miracles. And so as we look at this here today, looking at the paralytic, uh, we're going to kind of tap back into uh, some of these foundational thoughts that we looked at last week. Uh, And uh, what I want to do first is look at this account of the paralytic being healed. We actually see it in three of the different Gospels, and I want to look at it in all three. So we'll read through, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the setting, the miracle itself, make sure we kind of have a a good understanding of it. And then I want to wrap up with uh, some application that we can make today. And I tell you, this particular miracle that we're looking at, we we could, I think we could do a year of sermons just on on this particular miracle because there are so many different things that the Lord unfolds and that the Lord shows us in this miracle. But again, uh, for our purposes this morning, you know, with, with this being a year where we're really focusing on living with purpose and living on purpose, we want to make some application that will help us do that. Live on purpose knowing our God is a miracle-working God. Can you say amen? Now, b- actually, before I read the, uh, re- read the three gospel accounts, I do have uh, a testimony here that will just give God lots of glory and kind of, you know, get our, our head focused in on what we're going to look at here. So this is from uh, Sister Maria Kale. She's a longtime member here at Grace and Peace, and I'll just read it out. She says, Dear Pastor Ralph and all the saints at Grace and Peace. I wanted to write you to give my testimony. Last July I was diagnosed with breast cancer in my left breast stage one. Twenty-two years ago I had a mastectomy due to breast cancer on my right breast. God granted my request and I never had a recurrence until I heard the news last year. I was going to have another mastectomy and went to the hospital for pre-op testing. They found two liters of fluid in my left lung and diagnosed me with metastatic breast cancer stage four. After a brain MRI and a PET scan, they ascertained that the cancer was throughout my entire body. I sent a request to the church asking for prayer and a family friend approached Pastor Ralph and told him of my situation asking for prayer. I know Pastor Ralph as he is one, was one of my teachers in Bible school. I talked to God about it, and He said to trust in Him. Every night and morning I say, thank you, God, for curing my cancer and taking the pain away. I just had another PET scan last Monday, and the cancer is gone. (laughs) Hallelujah. Amen, amen. She says, I will still go for the treatments, but I believe and have faith that it is gone forever. I wanted to thank you again for all your prayers and to let all of you know that the good Lord answers prayers, believe. Amen, amen, Amen. Amen. praise God. So, hey, that... That'll get us going, huh, for, uh, for, for a message on, on, on uh, miracles. Amen. All right, so let's take a look. We're going to look at this uh, miracle of the paralytic being healed. We're going to look at, at Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So let's start Matthew 9, verses 2 to 7. It says, some men brought to him, that's Jesus, a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Nothing like when Jesus reads your mail, huh? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I wanted you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. All right, Mark chapter two, let's look uh, at this account, starting with verse three. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Luke 5, we'll look at now the third account, starting in verse 18. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. So again in those three accounts we see a repetition in the very key ingredients of this testimony but isn't it kind of cool to look at all three and see some of the little nuances that pull it all together and in each one there's some little angles of this that when we put it all together we get a, a really great picture of this miracle that happens so so let's unpack it a little bit first let's talk about the setup to this miracle so so what's happening before this miracle so the news of Jesus, his teaching, his miracles, all he's been doing, it's been spreading all over Galilee, forcing him to seek a remote place to have some time alone. In fact, he did that with regularity. He had to go uh, try to get away from the crowd, and a lot of times the crowd would just hunt him down because they wanted to be near him, uh, to hear what he said and to experience his miracles. According to Mark and Matthew, he had... uh, returned to Capernaum. That's where his ministry began. And here he takes up residence in a house and soon attracted crowds of people that were eager to hear him speak. Now, another thing is part of the prep here. We read about Pharisees and teachers. According to Luke, Pharisees and teachers of the law had come from every village in Galilee. So not only is Jesus getting remarkable attention uh, from people who are praising God, but now the religious establishment is coming out and they wanna check him out. They wanna scrutinize him and they wanna see what's going on with this Jesus guy. So it's a delegation made up the Pharisees and the and the teachers to examine him. And as Jesus began to preach and teach to the assembled crowd, uh, something unusual happens. So, so the setup is all that I explained. Let's look at this miracle a little bit here. So the house is filled to capacity and these four men with their paralyzed friend, they can't get into the house. And so they decide, well, we tried. I guess it's not God's will. We'll just go home. No way, right? We all just heard it in three different uh, gospel accounts. That's not what they did at all. They looked at this crowded house with Jesus on the inside and they said, hmm, obstacle. Okay, what are we going to do here? And, uh, you know, we don't know exactly how it went. Maybe one of the other friends, you know, said to the one who's maybe just, you know, at a loss, I don't see any options. Maybe the, the, the bolder one says, you know what? We could get through the roof. And so together they climb on the roof. This is not their house. This is not their family. But they had to get to Jesus. And so they decide they're going to get up on the roof, dig it open, and lower their friend down. Now, what was the response of Jesus? Did he rebuke them? This is not your house. How could you? No. Jesus said, wow, I see faith. And he said, because... now, Now, he says to all of them, looking at this faith, this whole picture, he says to the one individual, hey, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven you. Now, when Jesus saw their faith, he responded right there on the spot. The, the persistence of their friends really demonstrates the quality of their friendship. Why don't we put it that way? The, the kind of friends who, who said, we're not fair weather here, we're getting you to Jesus. We'll do whatever it takes to get you there. And, and it's also a picture of biblical faith. You know, hope says it's possible. Faith possible says it's mine. Right? So they operate in faith, and they make this decision that they're going to be there. Now, uh, let, let's talk about what Jesus says to the guy. They lower the, the guy, clearly paralyzed, clearly looking for a healing, and yet Jesus is about to turn this miracle into an incredible teaching moment, not only for everybody there, but for that, that uh, contingent of uh, Pharisees that are there uh, to look for what's wrong with Jesus. This is really what they're looking to do. But how many know God's not willing that any would perish? So he sees the paralyzed man coming through and he doesn't yet say, you know, be whole, be healed. He says, your sins are forgiven you. I see faith and your sins are forgiven. Now, at the time, there was a predominant, kind of a dogmatic picture that if somebody wasn't well, it was somebody's fault in that person's life. If, if a person wasn't well, what did you do? What did your parents do, you know, that put you in this situation? Now, scripturally, the Word of God does say, you, you know, a, a sinful lifestyle can, you know, open the door for junk to happen. But notice uh, if we look at John chapter 9, in the healing of the blind man, uh, the disciples say to Jesus, so, hey, this guy that, was, that, that, that you just healed, uh, who sinned, him or his parents? And Jesus' response was, none of the above. That's not what this was about. There's more to this than that is what Jesus was saying. And he says, this one here is to give God all kinds of glory but we live in a fallen world, we live in a dark world, there, there's all of this complexity. But so, so Jesus here is responding, and it's very possible in this guy's situation that there was known sin in the man's life, maybe there was some kind of reputation that Jesus was speaking to and saying, hey, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you, right? Don't, don't we read in James, is there any sick among you? let them call for the elders of the church so that they could anoint them with oil. The prayer of faith will save the sick. And uh, it basically, if, if they've sinned, their sin will be forgiven. But what Jesus is doing here is not only touching, hey, I want to turn your dogmatic picture that you're holding on to, I want to dump that on its side. But Jesus is now also specifically reading the mail of the Pharisees and the teachers. And here's why. Jesus was claiming that he had the power to forgive sin. Yeah, I was just looking at something on on YouTube the other day, and, and, and somebody was trying to argue in a debate that Jesus never said he was God. Oh, yes, he did plenty of times. And here is one time in Jewish culture, he was shouting it real loud, just who he was, by saying, son, I see your faith. Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Now, the religious leaders are baffled because uh, nobody could forgive sins but God alone. So they're questioning, they're reeling, they're, they're um, scorning, they're, they're, they're not stopping and saying, hey, Is this the Messiah? No, they're saying this guy is blaspheming. Their hearts are hardened. They're blinded by arrogance, maybe by jadedness, but they're totally missing who is right in front of them. And, and this, this, this miracle then leads into, or th- this, this dialogue in the head of the, the Pharisees and the teachers leads into a response from Jesus. Now notice it didn't say anywhere in here that they spoke out loud. They're all having this conversation on the inside, scorning Jesus. And he just nails it and says, your thoughts are wicked. Why are you thinking these things? What is harder to say? Your sins are forgiven you? Or take up your bed and walk. Now let's think about it from a logical perspective. Somebody could say, hey, your sins are forgiven you. Who would know? Right? Nobody but God alone. Right? So, so, you know, the the kind of in the natural, the response from the Pharisees would have been, well, I guess that's easier to say. You know, and meanwhile, they're saying, because only God can do that. So you can say it, but, 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 and then Jesus goes and he, he moves this now a step forward and he says, which is easier, to forgive sins or to say, take up your bed and walk? And he turns to the man, and we just read, who immediately in front of them all is healed and gets up and walks away. This is clearly a miracle. This is clearly one of those times where Jesus was looking to tell them, I am the long prophesied Messiah. Messiah laying it out, proving it, showing it. And, and, and so, you know, you know, the result is they were all amazed, they glorified God, they were filled with awe. That word awe is, is reverential fear. You know, there's a trembling that comes along with that. Now, in this moment, we don't read that the Pharisees and the and the, the teachers uh, turned to Jesus on the spot. But We do know through his ministry that many of them did turn and respond, right? We know that about Nicodemus, you know. Now, at first, he, he didn't have all the courage in the world. He snuck out to see Jesus at night. You know, but he was one of the ones who said, yep, you, uh, I clearly see the evidence that you are the Messiah. You know, but it's it's a sobering picture for us here. I mean, it, it's it's staggering in our understanding of American culture for them to be so hard-hearted. But then when we look at what was going on in the Hebrew culture and what Jesus just proved to them, it's astounding how hard hearted they were in response to him, but yet the whole room there's this, there's this uh, uh, amaze, uh, amazement the, the word um, it, the word that we get for ecstatic is is what the Greek word means people just you know it, you know a spiritual version of when the underdog team throws a bomb into the end zone with two seconds left, and the room just goes nuts, right you know but then it hushes down with this we have seen peculiar things today. We have seen strange things. This is not normal church that we're experiencing. You know, all of this is going on and now the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're, they're, they're just enraged and they're insulted and, and yet then there's this miracle. They can't dispute the miracle because it just happened before their eyes and everybody else. They couldn't even lie about Jesus because too many people saw what was happening. So let's talk about some application that we can take away today. Everybody tracking so far, amen? Amen. All right. Uh, So so just a couple of thoughts for us to think on, again, as we prepare our hearts to take communion together. So, uh, okay, number one, once again, we see the importance of faith in our walk with God. Now, there are times where there are miracles that Jesus does, and they're not attached to somebody else's faith pulling on them, right? When Jesus uh, took command over the storm, you know, were the disciples standing behind him, Lord, we agree together, we rebuke that storm. No, they were all cowering and hiding. Ah, save us, right? That was the, the, the disciples, no faith going on there. You know, but Jesus did that. Then, you know, him walking on the water, that was not pulling on anybody else's faith. But when it comes to us as New Testament believers, we are called, our normal Christian walk is expected to be a walk of faith, which is what? That I'm not moved by what I see, I'm moved by God's word, right? Now, to be clear, that doesn't mean we deny what we see. We say, God, your word supersedes and your word will bring change to my circumstances if I choose to believe that over what I'm encountering. Amen? As Paul calls it, the good fight of faith. Right? So once again, we see the importance of faith and, and man, so many of the miracles, I mean, uh, the, the woman with the issue of blood, uh, Jesus, I mean, the miracle happened without Jesus having a direct encounter with the person. He's walking through a, a crowd and he stops and says, wait a minute, somebody touched me. And again, the disciples in their great perceptivity, you know, are like, Jesus, there's a crowd of people around you. <laughs> like, you okay, bro? You know? And, uh, you know, he's, no, he's not, not saying like regular touch. I'm talking about a faith touch. Somebody's faith touched me and power has gone out and the woman was made whole. Right? We, we see other places where it says, Jesus could do, new, Jesus could do no great work there except heal a few sick people because of the unbelief that was there. So we see faith directly tied to God saying, I'm a miraculous, all-powerful God, and the way for you to bring that into your life is for you to believe me, is for you to take me at my word. Now, how do we know? Well, how do I know what God's will is? Well, thank God we have His word. And if we can find it in His Word, we have His will. His will is His Word, and His Word is His will. Come on, can you say amen? Amen. And that's what we can stand on, and that's what we can walk out. All right, number two, there can be obstacles on the pathway to our miracle. Uh, Can I get an amen from somebody? (laughs) Have you ever had any obstacles on the way to your miracle? You know, have you ever had where you said, I'm going to step out and trust God, and then it did, didn't get better, it went from bad to worse. And, or you said, hey, I'm going to step out and trust God, and I'm not going to worry. And then you get more of the picture what, what's going on, and it's even more complex and more of a minefield than you realized before. You know, and that, that's this picture. Oh, Jesus, the one who's healing, the one who's preaching, and all the crowds are coming, we're going to go to Jesus. And now they can't get near him obstacle. So, so what does the enemy want to do when we are confronted with the obstacle? The enemy wants us to say, see, it must not be God's will. See, you should just throw in the towel and quit. See, you're, you're not going to get it, so why even bother, right? All these lies from the enemy, but instead we should look and say, okay, God, what is the solution that you have for me here in the process? Hey, sometimes it's risky. The woman with the issue of blood, you know, back in Hebrew culture, you know, she she was supposed to yell, unclean, when anybody got too close to her. And it got risky. She said, I'm going to break some rules, and I'm going to get close to Jesus, because if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. Obstacle moved past the obstacle. So so let us be encouraged, whenever the obstacle comes, we don't want to say, God have you forsaken me? God, are you not listening? God, is this not your will? But instead saying, all right, Lord, I I know your word, I know your will, and I'm with you all the way through until the victory comes obstacle, then you're just going to move it out of the way. I mean, in the natural business world, they say turn obstacles into opportunities. They bootlegged that from the Word of God. (laughs) Because that's what people do is they encounter these obstacles and just continue to trust God and, and they become opportunities to show off God's awesomeness. Amen? I hope somebody's encouraged today, if you're pursuing a miracle and there's obstacles in front of you, just, just hear the Lord encouraging your heart, don't give up. Don't give up. If it, but it doesn't look like there's a solution. In Christ, there is a solution. Just keep our eyes on Him and keep moving toward Him, and there's going to be a solution. Maybe it's climbing up on the roof, ripping the roof open, but there's a solution that, that's there. We just keep pursuing Him. How long, Jim? Until we got the miracle until we got the miracle. Amen. Amen. Uh, All right, number three, our faith can make the difference in the life of another. And so when we look at this picture, isn't it incredible? It's really not made clear. Did the man on the mat ever have faith? It is clear that the friends had enough bold faith to bring him, you know. Now, now let me just give a little bit of a, a statement to balance. This doesn't become an excuse for lazy faith on our part, right? Somebody else doing the work, you know. We have to believe. We got to feed on God's word and his promises so our faith can be bolstered. But, you know, I heard somebody, this is uh, such a beautiful quote. I, I heard, faith is personal, but it's not solo. Amen? And we need each other. When we're challenged in the Word of God in in Hebrews, right, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Don't isolate. Don't get alone. We need to lean on each other. We need to encourage each other. We need to help each other sometimes through uh, to the other side. You know, it was interesting. uh, Back, I don't remember if it was Moody or Finney, or Billy Sunday, but it was one of those guys, one of those evangelists where just, you know, thousands and thousands of people were coming to Christ. And during one of the crusades, uh, a journalist was interviewing the evangelist and said, so, hey, to what do you attribute all of your success in ministry? You know, all these people you know, uh, you know, giving their lives to the Lord and he brought the person over and there was a big platform that had been built that he could preach from for the crowds. It was in those days where you didn't have amplified systems and all that stuff. And underneath the stage, he gave this journalist uh, a view that nobody else saw. And it was dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of intercessors that were wailing and crying out to God on behalf of the souls that were coming to that crusade. And he said, that's what I attribute the success to. Amen. Amen. Those souls that were willing to come and stand in the gap and believe on behalf of those other people. I'm so grateful. You know, we got these Sunday evening prayer calls, and we're going big. We're praying for global revival. We're praying for God to heal and touch our nation. We're not looking at small problems and small issues. Lord, we got a prayer request for a hangnail. God, would you touch that hangnail? Thank God that we ask God to touch that as well, but we are, we are standing in the gap knowing that our faith can be exercised on behalf of another to see God do extraordinary things. Can you say amen? amen. To see God's miracle power. Okay, number four, I think we see from this miracle account, we can miss God if we have hardened hearts. So I want to turn our attention back to the the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And, you know, I think there's two things that that believers have to be cautious of, uh, two two areas that can shut us down from God's miracle working power. One is bitterness, pain in life, difficult things that make people jaded, that make people, uh, you know, cynical. You know, we don't want to ever carry that picture. You know, those attitudes come from a place of woundedness, but they create us closing off our capacity to believe God the next time God wants to move. Come on, can you say amen? amen? What if we're dealing with that? Well, it's just simple bringing it as a surrender to the Lord. Lord, I surrender this hurt. I surrender this bitterness. Lord, something went down. I'm not really... Sure, I got figured out how that went down that way, but God, you're good, and I believe you, and I trust you, and my eyes are back on you. And and then the other place where where our hearts can get hardened is just when we let pride get in there. You know, we we start to get to know some stuff, or maybe we've had some life experiences and we just connect all these dots together, and, and we think we got it all figured out. And that's exactly what was going on with these these Pharisees, you know. <laughs> the the situation with the blind man, you, you know, he's arguing with the, the Pharisees, and they're, they keep asking him, so tell us what happened. What did this Jesus do? And, and you know, the guy responds back like, hey, you're religious leaders, aren't you? This isn't that complicated. You know, and they rebuke him like, you know, know, you've been blind your whole life and we've been religious, you know, just puffed out of their arrogance, you know? And the guy responds with just simple truth and faith. Look, I don't know about that stuff, but what I know is I was blind and now I see and Jesus did it so simple, so pure, no room for pride or or anything else, right? So I'm so grateful that we can learn from the mistakes of others in the Word of God, right? That we don't have to make all the mistakes ourselves, learn the hard way. I can remember, I was so appreciative of this, the Kind of like the first mentoring and training that I got in ministry was the youth pastor that we served up at Calvary Temple, Mark. And I remember a particular time, Mark got in trouble. Uh, Nothing moral, nothing like that, but he just, he got in trouble uh, for doing some things ministry-wise. And uh, I was in his office when he got called in and got yelled at big time and he came back over and he sat down behind his desk and he had one of two choices to just kind of leave that to himself or to let it be a moment where somebody else could learn from his mistake and it was an early lesson for me he said well Jim he goes I'm going to give you something not to do when you get to ministry, you know? And he just basically laid out from his own experience, here's what not to do. So we get it all over the Word of God. We get all these pictures, how the Israelites showed us what not to do when they were wandering in the wilderness, how to not respond when Jesus is talking and doing miracles, but we have to have eyes to see. And ears to hear what God is saying in in those moments. Amen? So we can miss God if we have hardened hearts. We want to make sure that we're not letting any kind of bitterness or any kind of pride get in the way of us just humbly, hungrily pursuing after God. And remember we said last week that's part of what sets the environment up for God to move. Alright, and then uh, number five, our miraculous God has all the power we need for this life and for eternity. So, so, you know, again, another great thing when we look at this picture, let, let, first let's look at 2 Peter 1.3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and to godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. So let's think about that for a second. His divine power has already, when already, on the cross, on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who now has the name above every name, has already given us everything, all things that pertain to life and to godliness, to live in this life and to be godly. So let's go back to this incredible miracle. Jesus says, so, so, hey, what's harder to do to say your sins are forgiven you or to say, take up your bed, rise and walk. Basically, he was saying the breaking of the chains of sin or the making of a person whole who is broken. And Jesus in that moment does both and he does both shouting through this, this miracle he is the Messiah. And so that means for us today, and again, as we're getting ready in just a minute to take communion together, where is there a place of need in your life? He has, His divine power has already made the way for us to walk out everything He desires to us to walk out in life and in godliness. There's times where I've been exhausted. There's times where I have been fatigued. There's been times where I've said, Lord, I need your healing touch in my life. Lord, I thank you. Your divine power has given me already everything I need for life. I receive it by faith. That's, that, that's a declaration. So I'm not going to be moved by what I see or by what I feel until what I see and what I feel matches what you have said. I'm, I'm calling things that be not as though they were. There, there's been times, Lord, I need you to sanctify me. Come on, have you ever looked at yourself, I'm talking about kind of introspectively and said, oh Lord, that's ugly. Lord cleanse my heart. Come on, has anybody ever done that beside me? If not, we'll pray against lying in this room, right? <laughs> Oh, God, that's ugly. Lord, create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit. Lord, thank you. Your divine power has given me everything I need for godliness. See, God doesn't say, go do better, go perform better. No, instead, he says, you yield to the work that I did on the cross. You yield to my lordship and you receive it by faith. But what about if what I'm feeling, you know, I'm in unforgiveness, I'm in anger. Well, that's a feeling. We declare, I have forgiven in Jesus' name. And I'm believing it until what happens in my life matches up with what he said. Amen? So as we get ready this morning for communion, now there's, there's one thing I did want to say as we walk this faith walk. You know, there's a difference between faith and presumption. So faith says, Lord, you give it as a promise. I receive it by faith. It's mine now. But there's a timing on where I'm going to see this break out in my life. For instance, if you look in the Word of God. Yeah, by the way, if you didn't get any communion, uh, raise your hand and an usher will find you. Just a couple of hands up. Thanks, ushers. Make sure while your hand is raised, though, you're, you're keeping an ear open, right? You know, let's say you're saying, all right, I need a vehicle for work, and God says in His Word that He'll supply all of my needs according to His riches and glory. So I'm believing God for a vehicle. Therefore, with no money in my pocket now, I'm going to go down and buy one on credit and have it delivered to my house today because I'm in faith. Okay, well, we're in faith, but we don't know the timing between when we pray and when that arrives in the natural. That could be some time. I've just stepped into presumption when I've decided when God is going to break that miracle out in my life. Come on, can you say amen? That, that's a big one. And that's why I say, well, well, how long do I hold on? How long do I be not moved by what I see? We do it until it breaks out into our life. That doesn't mean that's when we say it happened, we say it happened now, and now we believe that God is going to move those circumstances in line with His Word, amen? That's why it's a, re- a ridiculous thing for somebody to say, well, I prayed so I'm dumping my medicine down the drain. No, because sometimes it's, it's an ongoing process that God is bringing, you know? Am I saying any less? No, you keep believing God, you keep standing, and then when that miracle is verified by the doctor, then you say, well, why am I taking this medicine? See the difference between faith and presumption there? And you want to know it? In our American microwave, I want it yesterday culture, we have to be careful. There is no fool in God. We can't manipulate God into doing a miracle, right? And sometimes it's in the waiting, it's in the process, that He is absolutely transforming who we are. Amen? I want to share a quick testimony right on the front end. Uh, If you've been around for any period of time, you've heard me share in, in different messages. So I gave my heart to the Lord when I was 19. I was coming off of a semester at college where I was just running as far away from God as I could and I was in the party scene, and I was not sleeping, and I was not doing right by my grades, and I just drove myself into the ground physically. And uh, I came home in that break between spring and summer session, that's when I uh, had that conversation with my mom and she led me in a prayer of salvation. I had been watching their walk for the last couple of years and I said, I I need what you have. And I invited Christ in my heart and I went back up to school on a mission and bringing a Bible and bringing some study tapes and all this stuff and I wasn't up there a week, but I came down with uh, a very, very severe case of mono. Uh, and uh, so so much so that my parents had to come up and pick me up. They brought me home, uh, go through a couple of weeks, and now I'm not able to even eat and drink, you know, water or anything like that. So we go to the ear, nose, and throat doctor. And that now mind you, I had just given my heart to the Lord. Yay, I'm serving God. You know, did things get better? No, it got tough first. You know, and then my mom was ministering to me about, hey, Jesus purchased your, your wholeness, You believe for him. So I was believing, and guess what? It got worse. And I, I did all I knew how to, just as a new baby believer, believe, and it got worse, and then believe, and it got worse. And then we get to the ear, nose, and throat guy, and now, now my throat is bleeding, you know, and, and the guy says, wow, that's the worst case of mono that I've ever seen. And uh, if he doesn't start being able to ingest, uh, you know, water and stuff, you're going to have to put him in the hospital. And I remember driving home, uh, or you know, my mom driving, driving home, I went to my house and, you know, where do you go where nobody's going to barge in on you, right? Went into the bathroom, you know, closed the door, locked the door. And I wept. And I said, Lord, I, this doesn't feel like this is working. And I feel like I've been fighting and that you're not doing anything. Now, th- this moment I'm going to share with you, this was the grace of God as a baby Christian teaching me what it looks like to walk the life of faith. So there in that moment, I said, I'm going to go ask mom just to take me to the hospital because I'm more weary fighting than, than I just want to go and throw in the flag and, you know, throw the towel in. And and again, I don't mean to be gross here, but this is powerful. I turn the lock on the door. I begin to open the door, and I start to gag. And I'm I'm coughing something up. Two black blobs about that big coughed out of my mouth into the garbage can and and started recovering and started recovering and started recovering and started recovering. And went back to the ear, nose, and throat guy. He didn't recognize me. That's how jacked up I looked when I was in there. You know, and he had said, you know, there's going to be massive scarring on your tonsils. You're going to need to get them taken out. There was no scarring. And he said, man, I can hardly recognize you. And, you know, and it was, in, it, it, was a, it was a moment of God's grace showing me you don't give up. And the miracle was just on the other side of where I thought I could believe him till. So I wanna encourage you in that. See what I mean about the timing thing? You know, so we just keep standing, we keep believing, we keep pressing in, we keep leaning in. And I don't know about you, you know, in, in, this, in this miracle here, Jesus spoke to him, said, take up your mat and walk. And it says, and immediately he got up and took up his mat. I can hardly count on one hand, put it this way, I can count on one hand with lots of fingers to spare, how many times God, God's miracles in my life have been instantaneous. But there have been so many miracles of God in my life, right? So the lesson is he's going to do what he said. He is a miracle-working God. I'm looking around. I'm seeing some here who you've walked through this, some great prices of just saying, we won't give up. We'll just keep trusting. We'll just keep standing. We're not going to let go. We're not going to let go until the miracle comes. I just feel like the Lord is ministering to some hearts this morning. So, hey, once you get your communion ready, right? We had Jesus tell us that this body is to represent his, or this bread rather, is to represent his broken body, broken for us, to bring us wholeness, to bring us peace. You know, the word in, in the Greek, sozo, means a salvation that's complete and total. The word shalom for peace means a complete and total peace. It was purchased for us by the breaking of His body. And in the shedding of His blood, our eternity becomes secure because the payment for sin has been made. And we're told in Romans, sin no longer has dominion over us sin no longer reigns, no longer is the boss, no longer is a tyrant in our lives. And we can say, sin, you no longer reign over me. You're broken in the name of Jesus. Lord, your divine power has given me everything I need for life, for godliness. Yeah, but you don't know what it's looked like. Hey, what did we decide today? we're not moved by what it looks like. We're moved by what he said until what he said is what we see. Amen? Amen. Praise you, Lord. You know, as, uh, as, as we were here in second service at the end of just that incredible worship, um, and this is something I've been thinking about this week, but I, I felt like the Lord brought me back to it. Um, I believe there's a special grace here today to deal with trauma. If there's been trauma in your life, a lot of the things that that we see go on are the, the fruit of the root, where the root is trauma. And so let's just believe Him for that. I think there's a lot more. I mean, if we can find it in the Word, it's available to us in a promise here here today. But there's there's something special that the Lord would do significant work when it comes to the area of trauma. So, Lord, just as we now around this sanctuary watching online, we turn this entire room at, to an altar where we bow our hearts before you. And Jesus, we're so grateful for the body broken and the blood that was shed so that we could be made whole, so that we could be delivered from sin and its dominion. Lord, thank you that in in this, your divine power has given us everything we need to live for life, to live in this world and for godliness. And so now, Lord, each of us in our own individual place of need we make a decision now to say we will walk by faith and not by sight. And we will do it until what is in our sight matches what you have promised in your word. Lord, we're believing you for it now. As we take communion, it's in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Let's partake. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, we're so grateful to you, Lord. We're so grateful. We believe you. Our eyes are on you. Thank you, God. And so, Lord, now as we prepare to leave this place, we pray that uh, we would carry the things that you've spoken to our hearts, Lord, that we would work them into our lives, and Lord, in, in whatever area that we have just met with you in communion, Lord, that by your grace, we would be steadfast believing you, taking you at your word. So we give this next week into your hands. Thank you for your blessing and your covering and your protection, Lord, on each one, on our households. Lord, it's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. Amen.